0: This is God's word, Genesis 25. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Eshirim, Latushim, and Lemim. The sons of Midian were Ephaph, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward toward the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laharoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of his sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth: Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar. Abdiel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Nefish, Kidamah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from the Hevelah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Arminian of Paterahum, the sister of Laban, the Arminian, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah's wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted and Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name is called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Amen. This is God's word. Yes. We,
1: uh, as a church, have been going through the book of Genesis over the past, uh, since we st- at the start of the year, we have arrived at chapter 25. Some weeks we've gone very in-depth into some of the, uh, uh, the stories there. Sometimes we've took a broader picture, and today we are just going to... Um, Take a broad brush stroke. There's no way we're going to go through every name, so breathe breathe out. That's not happening. But we will pick out some points. The advantage I've got is this. I'm already 10 chapters ahead in my prep in this book, and so I know what's coming, as so do many other mature Christians who have read Genesis before, but lots of people in this room don't know what's coming. And so I'm just going to give you a little snapshot as we turn our focus on in the next few chapters on to um, Jacob specifically. But before we do that, let's remember what sounded maybe boring to some of us there with a list of names is actually God's breathed out word. He has given that to us for our benefit, so let's ask him to help us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the words. We confess when we get to passages like this on our own, we tend to just skip past if we even bother looking at all. And forgive us, Lord, for we know that every single word that you have given to us is worthwhile, brings glory to your name, and leads us to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So, just uh, be with us this morning. Help us think clearly, I think biblically, and to leave this room more determined to follow you than when we entered it. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, very difficult. Uh, Rachel said, have you got any points for the kids t- The kids this week? I said, not particularly, no. Uh, it's not like a New Testament epistles where we can have four Ps or, you know, and all this. So we're just going to work through it quite um, br- uh, briefly. Uh, first, I want to look at um, the death of a spiritual giant. So Abraham, we all know Abraham. We've been following Abraham for a while now. We read in verse 8 that Abraham dies. And there's a little phrase in verse 8, and it says he was gathered to his people. That is a phrase used time and again in the Old Testament. In um, verse 17, it will be used about Ishmael when he dies. It's used again in Genesis 35, verse 29, when Isaac dies. It's used again when Jacob finally dies in 49 Uh, on verse 33. It's used when Aaron dies in Numbers chapter 20, and it's used um, when Moses dies in Deuteronomy 32.50. So, what does this little phrase mean? He was gathered to his people. We probably wouldn't even notice that unless I brought it to our attention this morning. Well, let me tell you what it means. It means this. Being gathered to your people is something that occurs after death. So being gathered to your people is not like an Old Testament expression for dying. Okay? These men died. We read Abraham today dies and they're gathered to their people. In other words, they're gathered to their brothers and sisters in Christ. So without even thinking very hard about it, In this text, we already see that the Bible clearly teaches that there is eternal life after death for every member of the human race. When we die, we are either, one, gathered to our fellow Christians under the righteous rule of God, or two, gathered to our fellow unbelievers under the unrighteous rule of Satan. As simple as that. That's how stark the Bible puts it. In life and death, we go to glory or we go to hell. But either way, after death, we all live on. It's not the end. Our forefathers fully believed this they fully believe that after our physical death, we still will exist. And so Abraham dies, major figure, goes to be with the Lord. Now, the death of Abraham, however, does not mean the death of God's promises to him and his people, because not even death can thwart the promises of God. Now, um, Somebody asked me a question recently, a really happy one. Um, What will happen to 20 schemes if you die? Uh, It was Miriam, it wasn't. Uh, But, well, what if I die? What will happen to 20 schemes if, you know, Sharon dies? Probably be quieter. What if 20 schemes. True True story, there you go, see? What if 20 schemes went bankrupt tomorrow? What would that mean for the purposes of God in the schemes of Scotland? I'll tell you what it would mean. It would mean precisely nothing. Now, I would hope that at least I would be missed, right? But the work, if it belongs to the Lord, will go on. God doesn't require me to fulfill his purposes in this generation Now, this truth doesn't make us valueless. It doesn't mean we're without value. But this truth gives us perspective, right? The work of the gospel across Scotland is not on our shoulders. That pressure alone belongs to God. And we're more valuable to the Lord than we'll ever know, yet we're more dispensable than we like to believe. And we read about person after person as we work through these texts, In the coming months, we're going to read about Moses. We've already read about Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David. I mean, take the list; they all had a role to play in human history. They all had a role to play in their generation. They were all revered. They were all worshipped. They were all looked up to in their lifetimes. You don't think that when the news of Abraham dying in chapter twenty-five and verse eight, that all the leaders around him his close family, his friends, the nation. You don't think they said to him, who's going to lead us now? What does this mean now for us? You don't think the same questions were asked when Moses dies or Joshua or King David or Jesus? They all died. We're reading a history book. In Genesis, of people who are all dead, and yet we still sit here, and Jesus Christ is still alive, and the gospel is still going forward. One day, I will be no more, you will be no more, 20 schemes will be no more, but the flame of the gospel will never die out. God's plans are never thwarted, God's plans for the world didn't die with Abraham. So that spiritual giant dies, is my first point, but the work of the gospel doesn't die. Now, here comes the big surprise in this text. Abraham dies. The shock is the person who's going to be the one who follows on in his footsteps. So Abraham dies, and then, as we're going to focus on in the next few months or weeks even, up comes a man called Jacob, he pops onto the scene and what an absolute waster of a man he was. So we get the death of a giant and then secondly, the birth of a loser. Now every country in the world has got their heroes, right? Every Scotsman knows the name of William Wallace, right? Because every American who comes here says they're related to him. (laughs) Just so all you Americans know, we do play American bingo But the first one to say, yeah, man, all my family are from Scotland. The English know the name of Winston Churchill, don't they? Miriam. The Irish, I'm trying to think of famous Irish ones, but we've just got Conor McGregor, so I'm sorry about that. (laughs) The Welsh are worse. Let's go for Tom Jones. The American hero, though, and without measure without equal has got to be Joe Biden, right? In every in 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 Israel, everybody knows the names of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. wherever, our, wherever our, our, the hero is of our country, whatever the, the men or women we, we get behind, what happens over time is that their, their bravery or or, or 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 what they did with their lives is exaggerated to such a degree they're almost mythical. Any personal failings they may have had airbrushed out, right? Any sins they were guilty of excused by those wanting to defend them. But that is not the case for the Bible. You know, one of the strongest arguments for the actual truthfulness of the Bible is how brutally honest it is about its leaders, about the people of God's. We're going to see over the next few weeks, Jacob no better than his forefathers. In fact, in many ways, he was even worse. We're going to study the story of a man deeply, deeply flawed, a man who was a loser in every way, and yet a man, we'll read in Genesis 32, is called the Prince of God. A man who loves God and is used for the glory of Jesus. That's the shock, Right? Abraham's spiritual giant, even though he was an idiot, dead, who's going to take the place? This idiot over here, Jacob. Never in a million years would you choose a man like this to lead the Lord's people. Listen, I wouldn't have trusted Jacob to open the door, never mind lead the people of God. How do you think Jacob would have got on going through the 20 schemes interview process? How do you think he would get on or would have gotten on being interviewed to be the, the, you know, the pastor of your church or my church? He was a rat, the guy. Now, in case you're thinking I'm being overly harsh on Jacob, well, listen what he says to Pharaoh about himself. Genesis 47, verse 9. This is Jacob talking to Pharaoh. Few and evil have been the days of my life. He's a rat, Jacob, but he was a self-aware rat. Here he is, warts and all, included in the Bible to teach us something about the Lord, about ourselves, and about our sins. And we're gonna see over the next few weeks, God can make anything of anybody, no matter how broken and sinful their past. There's always hope when it comes to the gospel. There's always, most definitely, forgiveness for the truly repentant sinner, no matter how terrible or evil they have been. You know, often people read the Bible stories. I mean, I've heard many, many a kid's talk on David and Goliath. You know, what? You know, children, in this story, you know, we're like David fighting the spiritual Goliath in our lives. And, you know, we just got to throw stones at people or something, right? Listen, that's not how the Bible works. It's not how it works when we move from Genesis 25 forward. We should leave Genesis 25 and the rest of Genesis thinking... I'm like Jacob. Peel it all away, get rid of all my superficial stuff. Deep inside, Jacob is me. We should, it should be like looking into a mirror as we get into the story in the next few weeks. But if you leave our time with Jacob saying to yourself, I'm glad I'm not like that, then trust me, you're not, you're not listening. You're not listening. We ought to leave a text, we ought to leave a character like D- Jacob when we come across him And we ought to be crying out to God, saying, Lord, help me, because I am so much like this dude. I could be this dude. We should be thanking God for his mercy, for his grace, for his forgiveness. Jacob's going to need that a lot in the coming weeks. We need that a lot every single day of our lives. The big surprise, a spiritual giant dies and the future is entrusted into the hands of an absolute no-mark loser. It gets worse, though. Because not only is the loser, is my third point, but look at the state of his family I mean, I thought my family was dysfunctional. Well, congratulations, mate. They should get awards for this. Can you imagine how many episodes of Jeremy Kyle they could get out of Genesis? Sickos, a lot of them. Jacob's going to be a man of many miracles. He's a miracle baby, remember? That Had that miracle when he was a, a young boy on the mountaintop? When the Lord spared his life? Blessed by God at the age of 40, we read in the text with a wife. So we would expect this man then to be a man of stunning faith, wonderful, faith filled exploits. Instead, what do we know about him from this text? He was a bit of a mommy's boy, and his wife was a right cow. Look at verse 23. And again, I'm shifting through the gears here, but it will come. <clears throat> it will become clear as <clears throat> we go along. Verse 23: God reveals to Isaac and, <clears throat> and Sarah that she's going to give birth to two sons. These two sons we're told will live at war with one another, the younger will be stronger than the eldest. And that's why Esau was Isaac's favorite child, and Jacob was the apple of his mother's eye. Look at verse 28. We read, Isaac loved Esau because he ate his, of his game. Rebecca loved Jacob. Little wonder then that there's jealousy and infighting in that family, right? Isaac and Rebecca ruined these lads. They had no chance even from the point they were born. Straight plate with. Uh, we all know to some degree or another the playing favorites in the family game, right? And where that leads, absolute, total, and utter dysfunction. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it played out. What we do, I was saying to somebody the other day, what we do to our kids is criminal. Those of us, we come from dysfunctional families, who came from dysfunctional families, and then we somehow think that gives us an excuse to produce dysfunctional families, Now, the frightening thing about this account, and this is the, not, well, not the frightening thing, the bizarre thing, the, the, the scandalous thing, the outrageous thing about all of this is that Isaac and Rebecca, remember, at this point, were genuine Christians. Isaac and Sarah, they, 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 uh, sorry, yeah, Isaac and Sarah, sorry. They, they spread their sin, they spread their selfish ambition to their own children. And yet still, they were regarded as believers. Now, I was thinking about this text, and this is not, I'm going to get, I'll, I'll make a little application about families, but let me be clear Families has got nothing to do with this text. This is just me making a side point. All right, you're gonna to forgive to me a little wonder. Um, but it has got me thinking about how we're raising our children. We've got to treat as, as Christian parents, and not all of us are parents here, but we've got to treat all of our children with the same love and a care. Because our children are born sinful enough without us giving them a helping hand, right? But what's, what's interesting, I'm reading this. You're reading Isaac and, uh, uh, and Sarah, godly, faithful, in the main, saints. And yet, they could have done with getting on a parenting course, couldn't they? Even a family like that, here's an encouragement for you. Even a family like that got it wrong. As we see in their family life, they lie, they manipulate one another. I mean, it's really ugly. Little wonder Jacob grows up to become the man he does. We need to be modeling godliness to the next generation, right? It is generally but not always true in my pastoral experience that those that children reared in an environment not of sinlessness but of openness and encouragement and forgiveness, they rarely walk away from the Lord. It can happen from time to time. There's no doubt about that, right? But for Isaac and, uh, 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 and his wife, the, the inconsistency of their parenting caused massive trouble in the home. So here, here's the scene. I'm, I'm trying to set it out as best I can. Abraham's dead, the great Abraham. He's gone. The man who held all the promises for the future of God's people. Now we're going to trace the story of Isaac, born in this dysfunctional family, barely, I mean, doing one another out of everything they could. Sneakiness was horrific. And so the question is, where was God in all of this? If God's truly in control of everything, then why is he letting all this stuff happen, right? That's the the question we should be asking from this text. And that leads to my final point, which is my final point of application. God's purposes in this world do not work out the way we plan them to. Look what Sarah, look what she asked. Sorry, not Sarah. I keep getting the names mixed up here. Let's go back to verse 22. Uh, Rebecca, the children struggled together within her. She said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? If you are our gods, if we're your children, why are you making things so difficult for us? Have you never asked that question? Huh? If, if, if you love me and I'm a child of yours, Why am I going through this particular difficulty? Why is this situation or these things happening to me? Why are my children following Jesus? Brought them up as best I could. uh, 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 We did our best. Why, Lord? And there are no easy answers to these questions, are there? I can tell you this. Often the trouble we run into in our lives is usually of our own making. And so God, in his mercy, allows us to go through deep waters from time to time. And sometimes he may even allow us to sink to the point of drowning before he reaches out to pull us to safety. But when he does that, we've got to be assured of this. He has no intention to harm us. His only intention is to grow us more and more like Jesus, Abraham had to know, Isaac had to know, and Jacob will go on to have to know that God is in control of all the things of life, good and evil. That's a hard truth to accept in a culture where we're conditioned to think that God's blessing means that he gives us more good things in life or an easier life when it can mean the complete opposite. How many testimonies do we hear time and time again? Well, if I just come to Jesus, all my problems have gone. That's not true. Some of your problems may be alleviated, but you may get others. And so before Esau and Jacob are even born, Rebecca was warned, your pregnancy is gonna be different. He answers her question, verse 23. They're going to they're wage these two children inside you. So not only has she got an unusual pregnancy, but God tells Rebecca that when the boys were born, they would behave in completely the opposite way that the culture said they would. And what I mean by that is, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, the eldest boy always was served by the younger. And yet here... God is telling Rebecca that this will not be the case with her sons. Look, listen to how Paul describes this event. Romans 9, verses 10 to 13. I know some of you are taking notes. Romans 9. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Just listen carefully. There's a shock coming for us. Yet before the twins were born, when? Before or after? Before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad... In order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, uh, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, listen up, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. In other words, this is God's divine elective love, electing love is already on Jacob in the womb. And so the big question is why God chooses Jacob to be in the line of promise. Why not Esau? You've read it there from Paul. They'd not been born. They're neither good nor bad. How is it fair that Esau doesn't even get a chance to choose God? We've heard this argument before. Why does God choose to save some and not others, right? Didn't think that list of names would take us down this little rabbit hole, did you kids? Well, it's clear in scripture, Jacob and Esau's futures are already determined before they even come into the world. Many Christians hate this doctrine. And we're not the only generation to ask why. Again, Romans 9, verse 14 to 18. This is Paul answering his own question. What shall we say? Is God unjust? No, not at all. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. The scripture says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, listen up, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. I bet you didn't have that for your wedding text, did you? Fascinating to me that pro abortionists always jump to defend the mother's right to choose, right? Her body, her choice. And yet, we struggle to comprehend that God can do whatever he likes with his creation. His creation, his choice, then, right? That's the argument. Abraham dies. God's people left wondering what the plan is. Along comes an idiot. A liar, a cheat. We wonder what God's doing. He comes from a messed up, chaotic family. We wonder, how is God going to bring anything good out of this chaos? Then we learn that God loves Jacob and not Esau. And that's before they're born. So is God just? Is God fair? It's not the right question. In the words of Mark Schenk, who liked to say this, this phrase, that's not the right question. This is the question you should ask. The question is, is this doctrine true? Is this what the Bible teaches? Does it matter whether you like it or not? Does it matter whether you're feeling it or not? Is it true? And some of us are scandalized by this doctrine. But trust me, you'll be more scandalized when you get to glory and you discover the kind of people that God has saved. We're gonna find out that convicted rapists who turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus will one day enter glory. While the sweet little old lady who lives three doors down from us, who's never harmed a soul in her life, but refuses to bow the knee to Jesus, will go to hell. converted drug addicts will go to glory unconverted, strict teetotalers will go to hell. God does not work out his purposes according to how we feel about it. God does not choose the people we would choose to put in positions of authority or use the people we would necessarily use for his own glory. God's God's sovereign choice of people is scandalous Scandalous. It's outrageous that he should should choose Jacob and not Esau. Scandalous. Scandalous that he should save me, right? I'm an undeserving loser. Just thought I'd voice that because many of you think it, right? That God chose to save. If you're a Christian in this room, if you've truly understood the gospel, if you've understood your sin condition before you got saved and then understood what God has saved you from, despite the person you really are, you would have no problem whatsoever accepting this. We're gonna dig deeper into Jacob. We're gonna see God using him. We're gonna be baffled by why he would use a guy like this. We're gonna be baffled by who God saves and who God doesn't saves. We'll not believe who's in glory when we get there. We'll not believe we're in glory when we get there. If you're paying attention, then this leads us to another reasonable question, and it's this, if God has already chosen all of these people, then why bother with evangelism, right? Why not sit back, put your feet up and let God do all the work? Again, this is lazy thinking from people because this doctrine should make us more evangelistic, not less. This doctrine should fuel our desire to take the gospel into Nidri, into Gorgie, into Edinburgh, into Scotland, around the world. Outside these doors, here's what I know for certain. Outside these doors, everywhere, People are walking, unconverted people are walking around right now in Gorgi, walking around right now in Nidri and all the other places. Unbelievers are walking around right now, and they've got no idea that God has chosen them for glory. And the only way they're going to hear about that, unless he uses other supernatural means, which are extremely rare, the only way, the means God is using to reach these people to call them to himself, is us, losers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty one. he reminds the Christians there, since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That means we evangelize everybody in the sure and certain hope of God's power to save. So you shouldn't get angry about the doctrine of God's sovereignty. You shouldn't get angry that God chose Jacob uh, uh, and not Esau. You should be humbled by this doctrine. Because we are only saved. We only see the truth. We only understand the truth of what's being taught here this morning because God granted that to us. Left to our own devices, honestly. Honestly, answer truthfully. Left to your own devices how would your life turn out? We lie to ourselves all the time. No, I'll be better next year. Just get this job and that. Just get this and do that. i will going to have a kid with the missus and that, and that'll sort my life out. And, blah, 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 blah. and we, we like, we'll move house. We'll paint it a different color and that, because that, you know, that'll stop me being mental. Because I've painted my house blue instead of gray. Left to our own devices. We're all Jacobs. We trash everything. Paul says, listen, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He said, remember what you were like before you were saved. That's what he's saying. Not many were powerful, not many noble. God, cho- Listen, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring nothing To nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want the short form for that? We're nothing without the Lord. We were nothing before the Lord found us, and we're only something now because the Lord loves us. Forget judging one another who you think should be in this church, who should be allowed, who should be a Christian, who shouldn't be a Christian. Get that game played. You shouldn't even be a Christian. I shouldn't be a Christian. But praise the Lord, we are, every one of us, if we're honest, are (coughs) are more like sinful Jacob than sinless Jesus. For some reason, known to him, God saves us from hell. Not only that, but Jesus becomes sin so that we might live in eternal glory. We don't deserve it. But here's the promise of the Bible, and it's the promise to all of you here today, whoever you are, whatever you've done, if you will confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, if you turn from your sin in repentance and faith, then you too can be saved. You're not too bad to be saved. You're not too good either. You look around this church, you will not believe some of the stories of people who worship here. Angry, selfish, liars, manipulators, cheats, mentally ill, evil, self-righteous, judgmental. And in the insane to me, anyway. Purposes of the Lord, He saves us. God uses losers for the good of the kingdom. Who knew that? If you ask any d- true Christian here today whether they deserve to go to heaven, they will confidently tell you, not a chance. That's why we're here week in, week out, singing praising, singing praises to a God. Why? Because our minds are blown by his sovereign purposes being worked out in this world. And here's how I'll end it. If God can work out his purposes through a loser like Jacob with all the dysfunction of his life and his family, then there is hope for all of us. You can't fall too far from God. But he cannot come and pull you out of your hole. Listen, It's a madness what God is doing in Genesis 25 and all the way through the Bible. It's a madness what God is doing in this church and churches all around the country and all around the world. But listen, keep a hold of Jesus this morning with both hands. Keep a hold of Jesus. Stay humble and keep sharing the gospel with every single soul that you meet. Amen? Amen. Amen.